Hello again, everyone. Um, welcome to another pre-recorded weekend message as we um, are usurped from 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 our our place of of worship um, because of coronavirus. Um, unseated, I guess, would be a better term. <clears throat> we, um, if you've been with us, we've been going through Ephesians chapter four, and today is our our. Final look, part five of five at Ephesians chapter four, verses one to 16. Um, we've looked at the gifts of the spirit a little bit. We've looked at the offices that Christ has given. And today we're going to finish off with um, seeing how that applies to us in our, in our everyday lives. Um, what it really looks like to be a healthy church and the kind of the standard, the biblical standard for uh, a healthy church. Um, I'll read, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to read from the uh, the NLT today. Um, I'm going to read from the ESV for all the other verses we look at, but I'm going to, I'm going to start with the New Living Translation. It's a paraphrase, and I, I, I try to stay away from paraphrases, um, especially for study, uh, but uh, I'll, I'll start with it today because it gives a good overview of these, of these verses. So I'll read Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verses 11 to 16 in the NLV, uh, NLV, in the NLT, and then um, I'll go to the ESV afterwards as we go through the rest of the message. Um, so Ephesians 4, I'll start at verse 11. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church the body of Christ. This, that is building up the church, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us that you have given us your word, Lord, that in a, in a way you have disclosed yourself to us in your word. And we can understand who you are according to creation because you have given us your word. You've given us your promises. You have given us truth, Lord, not only in the form of your son, but you have given us your truth to hold on to in the midst of uh, trial and tribulation. So just come, Lord, into our hearts, into our minds. Convict us by your spirit. Grant us a desire for your word. Grant us a desire to know you. Grant us understanding as we open your word, Lord, to, to, to know you. Just come and help us as a church to, um, to be more and more like Jesus as, as individuals and as a body. Help us as individuals to live Christian lives, and then as a body, Lord, to live in unity, to live in diversity, and then to grow in maturity. 
for your sake, Lord, for your praise, to the praise of your great name. For your name's sake, Lord, come. In the name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. <clears throat> so our, our, we'll go through basically four points today. We're going to basically look at what it looks like um, um, to, be, to be Christians and kind of what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 4, um, what it looks like to attain unity in the faith and to move away from immaturity. And, and so we'll have four points. Our first point is uh, that we are to grow like this, and then we'll look at what, what that means to grow like this. Next, we'll look at what it means to grow away from this, so we're growing into maturity and growing away from immaturity. And the reason we need to do that is because of, of this, and, and that'll be because of um, tribulation and trials and false prophets and, and basically untruths. And then we'll finish with, Paul says in verses 15 and 16, rather be like this. So grow to this, away from this, because of this, therefore rather be like this. Um, and then I'll, I'll reiterate those as we go. So first, what we're going to do is look at grow like this. That's our first point. Grow to this. Grow to maturity. And that's in verse 13. Verse 13, this will continue, as in building up the body of the church, equipping the saints. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So maturity, we'll have, now we'll have four subpoints within this point of maturity. Within us growing to maturity, we're going to have four subpoints. And the first one is unity in the faith. And we've seen that. This is what it says here. This will continue, building up the body, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, etc., etc., etc. So, unity in the faith, and we, we can go back to um, verses 1 to 6 here in Ephesians, where Paul says, uh, as individuals, be humble and be patient and be gentle and be um, long-suffering, uh, be wise. And what he's, what he, then he goes on to talk about how the, the Trinity, in the Trinity, we are all one body because the, because of the Trinity. There's one Spirit, there's one Lord Jesus Christ, and there's one God and Father of all. So unity is is rooted in this idea that we have one faith. And that's what that's what Paul says here, that as a body, we are united with others, but we are, we are united in the faith. That's despite minor differences. And this is important because a social club or a hockey team or a baseball team or any other, other group can be united. They can be united around a common goal. They can be united around the same purpose or the same um, fixture. Kind of like a, a tent is held up by one, one big tent is held up by one pole. And everybody can be united under that one, that one heading. But being united means nothing unless we are united in the faith. We have to be united in the faith. So what, what Jude says, this is verses 3 and 4 of Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude, but this is verses 3 and 4. This is how he opens his epistle. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. 
ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So our faith is what we are united in. Not an idea, not, not a common goal, not a common purpose, but it's our faith. It's being regenerate in our hearts and having new hearts and new minds, being new creations. That is what unites us, what God has done. Not something we choose to do, but, but something that God has done himself, as we saw already in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Our second sub-point is that um, maturity comes from knowledge of God's Son. Knowledge of the Son of God, knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's because our faith is centered on Christ. Our faith is centered in Christ and in him alone. And so knowing him is power, paramount to our maturity. As we just hear in Jude, what happens is that people stop thinking and go after their emotions only. They go, as it says, they, they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. We aren't Gnostic, and I want to make that, make that clear. We're not Gnostic, and, and that means that we don't um, think that the, our emotions are, or the physical world, the, the material is evil. We don't think that. But danger arises when we start to go um, one way over the other. We start to go too far to the uh, non-physical side or we go too far to the physical side. That's not what I'm saying. But that being said, salvation is knowledge. Salvation, being saved, is knowing the Son of God. Knowing God and, and um, the one that he sent, as we'll see in a few, in a few minutes here. Salvation is knowledge. It is not feeling to be saved is to know Jesus Christ and to have that knowledge permeate your entire life. The only way to know Jesus then is to have God regenerate you. And it's not just simply a feeling. We're not going to go over Ephesians 1 to 3 again because we've done that. But that's where we saw everything that happens prior to chapter 4. God saves you by raising you up from the dead, by quickening you, as the King James says. He breathes life into your dead bones, cleansing your corrupt soul by the blood of Christ, by the blood of the Lamb. That is salvation. That is what God does. And then when it comes to you, you know the truth. You also feel it, but the feeling comes after the knowledge. We know the truth. We know what God has done. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Again, it's, it's knowledge of God, but it's not simply just an assertion. It's not simply assenting to a set of doctrines or assenting to a statement or saying, I believe, I know that there's a God and I believe. This knowledge Perm again, it just permeates our entire lives. That's what salvation is, is to have this knowledge of God that permeates your entire life. John chapter 6, uh, verses 63 to 69. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. However, there are some of you who do not believe. This is because Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, 
do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Regardless of what we are feeling right now, tomorrow, yesterday, regardless of what we are feeling, Lord, as we follow you, we know that you are the Christ and we can do nothing but confess it even if our lives seem to crumble. Lord, we know. How can we turn away when we have come to know that you are the Christ? This brings us to our, our third I'll, I'll kind of I'll, I'll lump our third and fourth together. That maturity comes down to being a full-grown adult in the faith. Which looks like coming to the full stature of Christ or living to the standard of Christ. To grow into maturity not only means to know Christ, but to continue to grow in Christ-likeness. Again, this separates something from just a mental ascent, from just saying, yes, I believe in Jesus, to knowing him deep down in your bones, knowing the Lord. If you think that the aim of the Christian life, the aim of God's work in your life, the purpose of God calling you, the purpose of God saving you, if you think it is to make you happy or feel good, you're absolutely wrong. God's purpose in your life is to make you like Jesus to bring you to the standard of Christ. This is why we face, face hardship and trials and suffering and tribulation, Lord willing, persecution. Because through these things, God makes us, makes you more like his beloved son. His poor theology that thinks that the bad things that happen to us are outside of God's will. That they are outside of God's will for our lives. And this is what the prosperity gospel thrives on, this blasphemous theology. They feed on the idea, prosperity gospel preachers, feed on the idea that God wants the best for you and that the best is making you feel good and giving you what you want. The prosperity gospel thrives on the idea that God wants the best for you, but that the best for you is giving you what you want and making you feel good. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God wants the best for you, but God's best for you is making you like Jesus. What is your best life now? It's not what Joel Osteen says. Your best life now is growing in Christ-likeness. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. In this you rejoice. That is, if you read beforehand, you rejoice in the truth that God has caused you to be born again, given you an inheritance that is imperishable, kept in heaven for you by His power. This is what you rejoice, rejoice in, this eternal truth. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the truth that God has prepared a place for us in eternity. Even though now for a little while we are grieved by various trials, and those trials come to test our faith. Trials come to you by God's hand to test the genuineness of your faith. And that genuine faith that is built in you will result in the praise of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 This is the will of God, your sanctification. That's it. After that, Paul goes on to talk about what sanctification looks like, what holiness looks like, which is basically, as we've seen already in Ephesians 2, is not following the course of the world. And as we see in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 15, it's that because he who has called you is holy, therefore you must be holy, set apart, cut out from the world, not following the course of the world. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, not your happiness, not your best life now, your sanctification. Romans eight twenty eight to 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For who? For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. If you remember back to Ephesians chapter 1. Dear saints, we've been predestined for adoption. God has called us to be holy. You have pre been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I want you to feel the weight of that in your life. If you confess the name of Christ, what you're saying is that, according to scripture, you're saying that God has called you according to his purposes, according to his will. And what that means is that you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Are we joyful? 100%. 100% joyful. As we already saw in Peter, rejoice in these truths that God has made a place for you. But this joy is a byproduct of that truth. Our joy comes from knowing. Regardless of what's happening in our life, our joy comes from knowing the truth that God has not only caused us to be born again, He has given us an inheritance in heaven that He keeps by His power. Our joy is a byproduct of our salvation. It is not a prime product. Our joy consists, again, in knowing the truth, knowing that God has saved us from sin, from death, and from hell. That he has saved us to an eternal peace. And knowing this truth, we rejoice. So that even in the midst of depression and brokenness and trials and tribulation and suffering, it is knowing that God is good. And that even in pain and death, we hold to his promises. That is faith. That is trust. 
Salvation is knowing God and having that knowledge translate to the rest of our lives so that we live in that truth, so that it permeates everything. If you think about Job, he was righteous. Satan wanted him because he was righteous. And he lost everything. He lost everything. Not just one child, but all of them. And all of his animals. He lost his physical health. He lost everything except his life. And he didn't sin. And he said, Lord, though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. Though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. But what happens? We get to we get to the end of Job, and he's repenting. What is he repenting of? He's not repenting of his sin that brought this calamity upon him because we see that he was righteous. It had nothing to do with his sin that this calamity came. So what is he repenting of? He is repenting because he did not trust in the goodness of God in the midst of suffering. Job repented because he did not trust in the goodness of God in the midst of his suffering. He did not trust that even in his suffering, God was good. His logic, finally he broke and his logic came down to, well, I must be suffering. Does that really mean God is good? Or God's not in it? And his logic was wrong. And so he repented because in the midst of his suffering, he did not trust in a sovereign, good God. And this is what it looks like to be mature in Christ. This is what it looks like to grow in Christ-likeness, to come to a point where the truth of salvation, the truth that what God has done, the truth of what God has done going into our bones, going into our souls and stirring around and then coming out and every aspect of our life reflecting that truth. Those are our four subpoints. Our second, our second main point now is um, that we are moving away from immaturity. So that's verse 14. We are moving away from immaturity. We are moving towards maturity, but away from immaturity. And what does that look like? Verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. So what is immaturity? Well, as we see here, it's, it's being children in the faith. It's being tossed to and, to and fro, blown here and there by the wind, blown around by different doctrines. And it's being tricked. It's seeing the things out in the world and being tricked and influencing people who are speaking believable lies. It's being led astray from the true gospel, even minutely. These things, being tricked, um, as, as well as, I'll go back, being tossed to and fro, blown here and there by different doctrines, and being tricked into believing lies, these things are a result of, and, and therefore a sign of immaturity. They're a sign of being children in the faith. And again, this is different than having, having childlike faith, because we're told to have childlike faith. But there's a difference between being a child in the faith and having 
possessing childlike faith. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Colossians 2, 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. I'm repeating 1 Corinthians 14 here. Do not be children in your thinking. So as we wrestle through this, there's a reason, and we're, we're going to get there next. Well, we're going to get to, you know, why is our, th- our third point. But I wanted to just stick, stick here for a few, a few minutes. <clears throat> Do not be children in your thinking. We need to be mature as Christians. We need to grow instead of just plateauing and staying in the same zone of thought, in the same zone of faith. We need to continue to grow and move upwards and onwards. When we are immature in our thinking, we are tossed to and fro by the waves. We are carried about by every wind of doctrine. We are carried about by human cunning. We are carried about by craftiness and deceitful schemes. When we are immature in our faith, we are all over the place, going here and there, chasing the next best thing. And I've seen this in myself, for sure. And you see it in the conferences, and the, the youth conferences and the adult conferences that obviously before we had coronavirus, they're, they're all over. And you would see people going from conference to conference to conference to get an emotional high. Going from teacher to teacher to just get the next fix. And there's no maturity. We're tossed about. Almost like, imagine there's a dinghy out on the ocean. And there's a child in the dinghy. And the waves are 10, 12, 15 feet high. And it's just all over the place. It's got no mooring. It's got no anchor. It's carried about by the wind. The wind blows and it pushes the dinghy. The the waves come and they push the dinghy. It is all over the place. That's what Paul is saying. If you are immature in your faith, you've got no roots. You've got no anchor. And this is why it is so important to be a family in this church. It's because when you have younger people, let's look at at Titus chapter 2. As a family, we need to be coming alongside of each other. It's Titus chapter 2. I'm kind of going on a little aside here. But as for you, Paul's talking to Titus, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. So drink wine, but don't drink too much. They are to teach what is good. Older women are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, uh, which is, I would say that's cultural. 
we'll talk about that later. Pure, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So here, what, what Paul is telling Timothy is, in the church, you need to have, it has to be intergenerational. You can't have a group of young adults who don't have any elderly influence. You can't. The older women are supposed to be teaching the younger women. The older men are supposed to be teaching the younger men. And then, as we see here, Titus says the pastor is supposed to be encouraging the elders. This is what it means to not be immature in our faith. And when there is immaturity, we come alongside of each other and we lift everybody up. It's disciples making disciples. It's people who trust and believe in Christ, helping others to trust and believe in Christ. Why? This is our third point. Why? Because false teachers and false gospels abound. Matthew 7, 7, 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. False prophets, they don't, they don't look like wolves. They look just like sheep. But they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Think of the prosperity gospel. Think of churches like Bethel and Elevation and Hillsong. Just the, the, the gospel that is being preached they look like sheep, but when you actually dig deeper, it's pretty clear that they're ravenous wolves. That's another topic. Matthew ten sixteen, Behold to the disciples, to us, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Because as sheep, we're out in the midst of wolves. Acts 20, 29 to 30. I know that after my departure, this is Paul talking to the elders in Ephesus. We looked at this passage last week. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among, among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. We need to walk in maturity and help other people to become mature in their immaturity because there are wolves, there are false prophets, there are false gospels, even from among our own selves, the divisiveness that, that pretend sheep are bringing will always continue. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away to the disciples after them. That's so why you need to know scripture. Because how do you know if I'm a false prophet or not? How do you know if what I'm teaching you is actually here? I hope I can do like a good enough job by showing you where in scripture I'm getting everything. But how do you test if everyone is preaching a different message and everyone is preaching a believable message? How do you know who's who? Mature in the faith holding sound doctrine in your mind and in your heart. I'll continue. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5. 
understand this, dear saints, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For the time is coming, 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 to 4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. People will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And Amos prophesied this. God prophesied this through Amos. There will come a day, there will be a famine in the land. Amos 8.12, there will be a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, but a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 3. Now the Spirit expressly says that in, little, in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Think about that. Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. They will, they will depart the faith through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Matthew 24, verses 4 to 5. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, tell us, when will the end of the age be? What will we see? Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. See to it that no one leads you astray. First John 2.18, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. Jude verses 18 to 19, They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. This is what they said to them, to the apostles. It is these who cause divisions. They are worldly people devoid of the Spirit. What's the message here? We need to be mature in the faith. And for those who are immature, we need to lift them up and teach them and bring them alongside of us. We need to be mature in the faith. Because false prophets and false gospels abound. Look at the world around you. How much of the world around you is built on the truth of God's word? How much is built on the lies of those who are devoid of the spirit, worldly people? So what do we do? There are counterfeit faiths and counterfeit gospels all over the place that have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. What do we do? 
we come together. We come together to help each other walk in the same direction. In, in individual humility and in corporate unity with our diversity, we all come together and we grow together in maturity. We come together to help each other learn what the good grass is that the sheep are supposed to eat. We help each other learn where we can find the good grass. And inversely, we help each other learn what makes some grass bad. And we help each other stay away from the bad grass. Here's an illustration. You've probably heard it. It's really, it's really popular. Um, and that's why I know I don't know many illustrations except the, the, the ones that most people use. Anyways, bankers and, and bank tellers, um, in order to learn what counterfeit money is, they don't actually learn what makes a counterfeit bill counterfeit. They learn what the real thing, they learn the real bill so well that they can tell when something is off. They know a $20 bill so well, a real one, they know it so well that when a fake one comes in, they know it's fake. Even if they don't know how or why it's fake, they know it is fake. There's something there that they know. They don't learn the counterfeit because counterfeits are constantly changing. And it's the same with the gospel. We need to know the true gospel. We need to know sound doctrine. We need to know what scripture says so that when we come upon false gospels, even if we cannot explain what is wrong with it, we will know that something is off. We will go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is going on here? We will go to his word. We will ask each other. We will say, hey, I was, I was listening to this guy and he seems off, but I can't, I can't put my finger on it. I have to do that all the time. I phone pastors all week long. I'm saying, hey, I'm, I'm listening to this guy and he said this. Like To me, that seems really strange. And they'll say, yeah, I, I was actually listening to him and, and it reminded me of this verse. And then I'll go to the verse. And I'm like, yep, that's it. And now I know where it's counterfeit. It's so easy to get caught up in the garbage, to be tricked and to be like children tossed to and fro by different doctrines and different teachings. It's so easy, especially when it's from wolves that are dressed like the sheep especially from when, it, when it's within our own group. It's so easy to get caught up, so easy to miss it, because it's wolves in sheep's clothing. When we look, we see sheep, and we want to trust them. But they're actually wolves. So what do we do? Again, we stick together. We be the church. Jude verses 20 to 21. This follows up from our last uh, look that we had at Jude verses 18 and 19. This is what he says next. Actually, I'll start from verse 18 just so we can get the context better. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these, the scoffers who follow ungodly passions, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Verse 20 to 21. But you, beloved... But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. But you, beloved, 
build yourselves up as a body. This is, we'll go back to Acts chapter 20 and 2 Timothy 4, just to look at the context there. Acts chapter 20. So before we only read two verses, I'm going to start earlier. Paul's talking to the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. Why? I know that after I leave, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The wolves are going to come in, so you better pay attention to the flock. The wolves are going to come in, so be alert. The elders are to pay attention to the flock and care for it because the wolves are coming. And this is why it's integral for us to know Scripture. Because we have to refute bad teaching. We have to keep the sheep from the poisonous grass. 2 Timothy 4, 1-4 I charge you, this is Paul to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, I charge you, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Because the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They will not endure it. And having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves those who feed their own passions. Because people are going off and listening to people who just feed their own narcissism. Because the end is, is coming and people cannot, cannot endure sound teaching and are turning away from the truth. Because people are doing this and wandering off into myths and not listening to the truth. Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Why, why do I preach the word? Because the time is here when people don't really care about the word of God. And people don't care about the truth. They really only care about things that suit them. Because this hurts. This hurts. Orienting our lives around scripture hurts. We don't want to hear a word from God because it means we have to change. When people open this up and say, thus saith the Lord, it hurts because it means we have to change. And because it hurts, we turn away and wander away off into myths and things that suit our passions because we don't want to listen to what it says. We would much rather hear something that soothes us in our sin and in our guilt, and in our shame. Let me read you this quote from a, a recent article. It's an interview done with David F. Wells, who was, a, who was a professor down in the States. Many people no longer believe 
in human nature. I'll get sorry. The context is that he wrote he wrote a few books on the change from modernism to postmodernism and and the effects of it on the church. So that's our context. So many people no longer believe in human nature, something all human beings have in common. Instead, they believe in the self, the core at the center of each person that is unique to them and unlike any other self. This is really at the root of the extreme relativism of our time, where people not only have their own values, but also their own take on reality. Instead, continuing the quote, instead of feeling culpable for sinning against the holy God, which is vertical relationship, people now feel shame or embarrassment about how others perceive their bad impulses or behavior. Horizontal relationships. You get that? No longer are we concerned about sin against the holy God. We're concerned about mistakes and some issues that we have that other people might think, might, might belittle us for. That's, that's our issue. The result then is that today, people are not so much looking for forgiveness from sin as for healing from feeling bad. By which I mean, what they want is a better internal sense of themselves and a better experience of their self. There are many wounds and many casualties. The result? People began seeking medications and self-help books and therapists to deal with that shame. Instead of turning to God in repentance and forgiveness because of sin, because we, we are aware of our sin, we ignore the reality of sin and we turn to other modes and other methods to deal with the shame that we feel. We turn to doctors, therapists, self-help books. And Christians who attended the same public schools, watched the same TV programs, went to the same universities. These Christians were not immune to this shift. Thus, this is where the quote ends. Instead of orienting life around the Bible, Christians started looking for Bible verses to orient around their emotions, their thoughts, their experiences. Pastors switched focus from studying and explaining doctrine to helping people navigate their lives. Churches abandoned harder teachings for seeker-sensitive marketing. The emergent church, this deconstructed worship, evangelism, and even what it means to be a pastor. Instead of orienting life around the Bible, Christians started looking for Bible verses to orient around their emotions, their thoughts, their experiences. What does that mean? What that means is no longer do I look at myself and say, Lord, I need to change because I need to be more like Jesus because I read it in scripture. What it means is that I'm saying, Lord, this is who I am. How do you make me feel better about me? And I'll go scattering through the Bible to find some verses that will make me feel better. And that is not the gospel. That is immature faith. Hebrews 3, 12 to 13 Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Like, dear saints, this is, this is huge. To be the church means to come together in our immaturity, for the purpose of growing into maturity, for the purpose of fulfilling the will of God on our lives, which is to be more like Jesus. Exhort one another every day, 
as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The call is to exhort one another, to meet one another, to be the church. To grow from immaturity to maturity together. Why? Because the day, capital D, the day is drawing near. What day? We see that in Matthew 24. The disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, when will these things be? Matthew 24, verses 3 to... I'll read verses 3 to 12. As they sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying... Tell us, Lord, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus answered answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Pandemics will come. Country will rise up against country. Don't be alarmed. These things must take place. The end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these, all of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Not the end. Do not be alarmed. The end is not yet. Then, then, after all of this, after kingdom rises against kingdom, after nation rises against nation, after you hear of wars and rumors of wars, after there are famines and earthquakes, then they, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Are you ready to call yourself by the name of Christ when this time comes? And then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. The one who endures will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. But before then, they will deliver us up to death. We will be persecuted. Many will fall away, and many will betray one another. Dear saints, we need each other. That's the message. We need each other to go from immaturity to maturity. Because this world is not safe for us who proclaim this truth. 
It is hostile to the truth that is in here. Verse 15 to 16. This is what it means. So instead, instead of living in immaturity, instead be this. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing full of love. Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. First, I want to just touch briefly on uh, verse 15 where it says speak the truth in love. The Greek there is actually one word. It's not three words for speaking truth in love, four words, not speak the truth, three words. It's one word and that one word is um, really just means live out the truth. Um, we see the same thing in Galatians 4.16 that Galatians 4.16 says, have I then become your enemy by telling the truth or the Greek by dealing truthfully with you? So what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4.15 is deal truthfully with each other lovingly. That's what he's saying. Move on. So uh, to grow in Christ, to grow into maturity means we have to grow in Christ. Without Christ, there is no growth. That's That's what Paul is saying here. Speaking the truth in love, we have to grow in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of the body of the church. So we as the church, the only way we're going to grow is if we're growing into Christ. Colossians 2, 18 to 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason about his sensuous, by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Paul is saying here in Colossians is that the false prophets, they're not joined to Christ the head. They may look like it, but they're not. He's saying that Christ as the head gives nourishment to the rest of the body. So that means as a church, as individuals, as the church, if we're not rooted in Christ, we're not going to grow. We're not going to have any nourishment. We're not going to be knit together through the joints and ligaments because everything comes out of Christ as the head. The only way to grow is is through Christ. John 15, verses 1 to 6. I, Jesus, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Do you get that? If you are not bearing fruit, you're removed from the vine. If you are bearing fruit, you are pruned in order to bear more fruit. And and pruning, I don't know if you've ever pruned a tree. We don't have any apple trees up here or hazelnut trees, but if you've ever pruned a tree, if you imagine yourself being a, a vine, a branch in a vine, and you're being pruned, you're getting cut up. Pruning is cutting off a whole bunch of stuff so that it grows better next season. That's a whole other whole other topic. Verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By this they will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. And God will be glorified. There is no life apart from Christ. None. I'll conclude. What's Paul saying here in Ephesians 4? There is no growth. There is no maturity. There is no unity in the faith if there is no individual fruit working backwards. He says, as each part does its own special work, verse 16, it helps the other parts grow so that the body, the whole body, is healthy and growing and full of love. As each part does its own special work, it helps the others to grow. What that means is that no fruit equals no unity equals no maturity. If there is no Going back to the first few verses of Ephesians 4, if there is no Christian fruit in your life, no fruit of the Spirit, as we've looked at in Galatians 5, there will be no true unity with other believers. We might have false unity, where we are united around a common goal, like going to the theater to watch the same show, but there will not be true Christian unity, unity in the faith. If there is no unity, there will be no maturity, we will stay like children. We will stay as immature believers who are tossed to and fro, carried about and blown all over the place. We will have no root and no grounding. We will be influenced by all manner of lies and false teachers. We will be influenced by the culture around us, orienting our lives to the popular culture instead of to the Bible. If there is no unity, there is no maturity, there is no growth, we will continue to follow the course of the world, continue to walk the path that the world shows us, rather than walking the path that the Lord shows us. The result is that as individuals, if we do not exhibit Christian fruit, it has a detrimental effect on everybody else. There's personal responsibility here. Then there is corporate responsibility. And every single one of us is responsibility for the growth of the body. Every single one of us is responsible for the growth of the body to bring everyone, including ourselves, from immaturity to maturity. No Christian fruit equals no unity equals no maturity, which means no growth of the body. What is the answer? If as individuals we are not living a life that exhibits Christian fruit, 
then as a body we'll not be walking in unity. It's impossible. We won't be walking in diversity. We won't be using our gifts to build each other up. We won't grow into maturity as believers. We have to turn to the head. As each of us are individual members of the body, we have to look at the head that is Christ. Turn to Christ. Walk in Him. Seek Him out. Open up your Bible and know God through His Word instead of trying to know Him apart from His Word. He's given us this. 66 books He's given us. And, and we'll never truly know all of it. That's a poor excuse to, to not open it up and search and read and continue to, to labor to know what this says. Our growth and our maturity depends on knowing this word because it is in this word where we meet Jesus Christ. It's a constant upward climb. It is. It's tiring. It's hard. Learning and relearning and relearning again and being broken and having the word of God split you asunder. But it's about growing ever deeper, ever fuller and ever upwards. Because apart from scripture, there's no knowledge of God. No true knowledge of God. There's no true growth. So open up the word because this is where the good grass is. And it'll help you determine and discern what the bad grass is. This is the bread. This is the bread that feeds us. And this is the lamp that lights our path. Again, open up scripture. Open up your Bibles. This is where the good grass is. This is where we this is our bread that feeds us. This is it says in Psalm 119, 105, this is the light, the lamp that lights our path. And this is where we find Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. There is so much here, and we could open it up and talk about it for hours and hours and hours. Lord, the joys that come from opening up your word are insurmountable. Lord, just teach us and grant us grace as we walk. We thank you that even in the midst of these short times of troubles that you are still there, that in your sovereignty, Lord, you are watching over us. You are bringing us trials. You are bringing us tribulations to make us more like Jesus. We just thank you. As we grieve over them, we thank you. And we rejoice that you have caused us to be born again. That you have given us an imperishable inheritance that you keep in heaven for us. We thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb that was slain. All praise and honor and glory to his name. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face 
to shine down upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Embers in the Dark. I hope it was edifying and that, that it was able to help you grow in the knowledge of the truth. Have a good week.